I believe one of the most important things that we can do is give ourselves the gift of truly nourishing the soul through time spent in self-inquiry, moments that still the mind, and practices that light us up and allow us to reconnect to the child within. Move, Breathe, Create is a platform that celebrates soul nourishment. Move your body to get out of your head. Breathe to give yourself mental clarity and calm. Create without expectation to fuel your inspiration and delight your senses. Come and join us over at movebreathecreate.com and use the code kombucha for your first month free. I'm looking forward to seeing you inside the community. Over the past year, I've been on a healing adventure. I've spent the past 12 months recovering from brain fog, pain, and chronic fatigue. Like any good adventure story, there have been highs and lows, losses and gains, and an incredible amount of personal growth and lessons learned. This journey has made me a better health practitioner and a more empathetic coach. To add more meaning to my experience, I wanted to create something that would help others to increase their energy, clear their mind, and restore their health. I created the Brain Fog Bible. The Brain Fog Bible is a 47-page guide that covers what I call the low-hanging fruit. It explores the most important areas to be assessed and addressed if you want more from life, but your brain and your body are holding you back. You can grab a copy at brainfogbible.com forward slash download. That's brainfogbible.com forward slash download. From a young age, I was passionate about nutrition and helping people with their health. When I started practicing in the field, I realized that physiology and psychology are intimately intertwined. Some of my clients just needed to know what to do to feel better. And many of my clients knew what they should be doing, they just weren't doing it. Underneath it all, unconscious conditioning was getting in the way of their success. This drove me to uplevel my skill set and coach my clients to remove some of their mental roadblocks and reconnect with the wisdom of the body. I learned about the importance of embodiment and harnessing the power of emotions to get more of what you want from life. I started offering intensive one-to-one coaching packages and I launched my Grounded Goddess group program. I also wanted to create a free offering to help women understand the power of the mind, body, and emotions. I created the Grounded Goddess Blueprint. The Grounded Goddess Blueprint is a 43-page guide that will help you reconnect with what you want from life and teach you how to build your roadmap to create it. It will help you understand why you often find yourself going round in circles and engaging with self-sabotage. If you feel stuck, overwhelmed, or frustrated with lack of results, you want the Grounded Goddess Blueprint. If you want clarity, understanding, and more success, you want the Grounded Goddess Blueprint. Just go over to groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash blueprint and grab your copy. That's groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash blueprint. Hi, I'm Shay and welcome to Kombucha and Color. Kombucha and Color is a weekly podcast hosted by me, Shay Dyer, a yoga teacher and creative graphic designer, and Anna Marsh, a functional medicine practitioner and women's health coach with a love of all things health and fitness. 
This podcast is here to inspire women to embrace health and live life bright. You can find more about me, Shay, at shaydyer.com. You can find out more about me, Anna, at annamarshnutrition.co.uk. And each week we will be bringing you inspiring content for a healthier and happier mind, body, heart, and soul. Everybody, it's Shay here. Welcome back to another episode of Kombucha and Color. Today, I am so excited to be speaking to a really special guest, Karen Wilmot. And this guest was recommended to me by a friend of mine who has actually come on a retreat that Anna and I have hosted in the past. Melody, she's come on a few different retreats that Anna and I have um, co-hosted in the past. And when she found out that I was pregnant, she said, Shay, you absolutely have to get Karen onto the podcast. You have to, she has to share her knowledge with the world. She's just amazing. And I know that Karen, you helped Mel so much through her labor and through her pregnancy. And she was just so excited for us to connect and for you to be able to share your wisdom with our audience. So I'm so excited to have you. Karen is the virtual midwife and we'll leave links to her place where you can find her in the show notes but she's got an amazing offering of this virtual connecting and virtual midwifery and I want to just get into your story and your background she's got a really interesting story of how she got into midwifery from a really young age so I will just hand it over to you Karen welcome to the show and thank you for coming if you can just let us know who you are and what you do well thank you so much for having me for inviting me onto the podcast as I said earlier any friend of Mel's is a friend of mine. And it's always so beautiful because so much of my work really is word of mouth. And because when friends refer each other, then you know it's always going to be a good connection because whatever drew me to make Mel's journey so enjoyable will probably resonate with friends of hers. So a lot of my work is word of mouth more than anything else. And being a midwife, the word is all about being with women. And that's what I love about it because women are so incredible. We are the seats of creativity. You give us a sperm and we make a baby. <laughs> you give us a seed and we make a garden. <laughs> and you give us a house and we make a home. I mean, that's just what we do. We are eternally creative. And I love, love, love being part of that journey in my role as a midwife. But it, it definitely goes so much further than that because the difference between a midwife and an obstetrician is that we really do get to know you throughout the pregnancy journey. And we have the skills and the expertise to be able to guide you through that journey, not just the clinical stuff, but also the experiential, the physical, the emotional, even the spiritual changes that you experience throughout your pregnancy. And as you mentioned, I have a history of it in that my mom was a midwife. So I grew up listening to her stories and her coming home with that beautiful glow when she'd been at a birth and sharing with me. I need to say that she died when I was 10. So my memories are really do go back to being a young child, but they're so clear in my mind of her coming home and, and with that glow. I mean, I, I literally remember that glow. And because I was so young, she obviously didn't share many details, but I loved babies. I mean, I was baby crazy and I knew all the neighbors' babies and I was always visiting babies. So obviously it was very exciting for me. Mommy, did you have another baby? You know, what happened? And she would share in a way that was age appropriate. And we used to spend a lot of our holidays on my uncle's farm. 
So, you know, if animals were born, same thing. I would be running along and, and she would be guide me through that. And if there were any of the farm laborers who went into labor, she would be called out, but she would never let me go. And I'd be kind of dragging on her heels and take me with, take me with. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was something, it was certainly a passion that I had from a young age. And in my adult life, I went straight into nursing and midwifery. And I've always been in what, involved in women's health in, in one way or another. Yeah. And I was just saying to you before we hit record that there's such a beautiful thing about this idea of passing down this knowledge and wisdom. Like it's come from your mother and you seeing that as a young girl, wanting to be part of that world, wanting to, to be in a system and be part of that whole experience. And that I think is lost a lot in our modern world. We, we, we don't have this opportunity for women to share stories with the next generation. And I think that breaks the chain. And I think that somewhere along the way, we have lost this connection to the natural physiology of birth because we are losing the storytelling. And I love what you say about this idea of really being with women and hearing and, and, and supporting them in that way. So do you want to, um, I know you're based in Cape Town at the moment, but do you want to share a little bit about what that looks like from a virtual perspective, how you support and share and care for women in a virtual capacity? So, you know, surprisingly, I, I went online and became virtual long before COVID even kind of made it necessary. And that evolved because I've spent a lot of time working in the Middle East in Oman, which is actually where I met Mel. And through that, had a lot of exposure to expats. And typically, expats sort of move on every couple of years. So if I had guided somebody through their pregnancy and then they moved to another country, the first person they would call when they felt pregnant was me. And because we already had a history, I would just go about searching wherever they were and guiding them through the process. And it, it really did evolve out of that. And through that, you know, started making little videos for them. So my course has been around for a long time, but supporting couples one-on-one -on -one was what is, is what I love doing the most. And it just evolved. And now, I mean, I have couples all over the world and people say, well, why wouldn't they find a midwife where they are? And I'm not sure why they don't. And they, well, actually they do because I'm not their, I'm not their primary caregiver, but what I offer them is the reassurance. So you know, they will re usually reach out to me in early pregnancy when they're confused and saying, what do I look for? And I'm so used to helping people that I've either have a lot, I do have a large network of midwives and doulas and birthy people around the world. So I will connect them in with those communities. And I also know what it is they need to find. So we start off the journey by me saying, well, this is how many weeks pregnant you are. This is what you need to find. I will guide them as to what, you know, where to go, depending on where they live. And more than anything, it's just having that go-to person. So we'll chat usually twice a month just to check in to see where they're at. And obviously, there's a timeline in pregnancy. You're pregnant at the moment. So every there's sort of goals, you know, your NT scan, your anomaly scan and your consultations. So we have that timeline and our calls are based around that. And I'd sort of guide them as to what they need to ask. And then usually there's at least one or two situations that arise unexpectedly that they don't know how to manage. And then because part of that package is that I'm on call 24 seven for them via WhatsApp and whatever, you know, they'll reach out and say, this has come up or I've got this result and I don't know what to do about it. And I'm able to guide them with that as well. So it's, it's, it's more than anything, just a, a lovely reassurance for them 
and a lovely way of me supporting and I absolutely love it. And some of them before COVID, I would actually fly over and then be with them for the birth. So as a sort of traveling midwife, but that's obviously not happening at the moment. So now most of my support is literally virtual. Yeah. And it's amazing how that's happened so organically for you. And um, I know Karen's got a book um, specifically for giving birth as an expat. So if you are interested in that, if you're in a country that's not your home place and you're feeling a little bit like, oh, I don't know if I'm in the right thing, then obviously you can connect with her. But she's also got a book that um, I know she sells through Amazon. Is that right? Yes, Amazon. Yeah, that's where it is. And it's also available. Like There's a link directly on my website. So Okay, well, we'll yes. link all of this into the show notes as well. But I think also that idea that people are coming back to you is the sense of trust that they have in you. And I think that's one of the key things in, in labor is like being able to trust your body, being able to trust the support networks that you have around you and the, the care and support that you are receiving. So I don't know if that links into, I know you want to talk about the five C's of preparing for birth and preparing for labor. So if you don't know if, if you want to dive straight into that, or if there's anything else that you want to share before we get into that. Well, you touched on something that I would love to talk about a little bit was you said the passing down of stories and the sharing and that aspect of being with women. And because I've worked in a lot of countries around the world, there's a, a vast difference in cultural beliefs around birth. And a lot of that has got to do with passing down of stories and the way women see their mothers giving birth and their aunties and, and extended family. I mean, a good example of that is the Netherlands where home birth is still very much the norm. And so even now, if I have Dutch couples living here, their whole outlook and understanding and experience of birth is completely different to the average South African woman who I work with, who has grown up in a society where birth is very medicalized, where the medical model is the norm, where cesarean section is almost like a given, and they think, you know, that's how babies come out. So there's a big cultural thing, and there's a lot of awareness that needs to take place. And it is only when women do their own research and start reading up and looking at what is actually available, which is one of the C's, which is choice, but that they will start looking and, and maybe questioning the system where they're living and then saying, well, actually, this system doesn't really support what I would like, but how am I going to go about finding and having the birth that I do think is possible and that I would like to have? And I mm -hmm. think that's a lot of what I do as well is, you know, making people say, what, it is, what is it that I want and then what's available where I'm living? Mm. Because it does, so, it's changed. It's, it's, you know, all around the world, it's very, very different. Yeah, yeah. And that resonates so deeply with me. One of our previous guests, Lulu Becker, who's the pelvic floor physiotherapist, she said, it's incredible how she sees women and pockets of friends who have natural, physiological, unmedicated births, and they all just have the same positive experience. And then different pockets of friends who have completely different births. And she's like, there is something to do with what they are feeding in terms of the stories that is going around in these circles. But it just shows up in these little pockets of, of friendship groups or what's been passed down through that, through that generational lineage. I love that idea. So let's get on to the five C's and the preparation for birth. So I have what I call the five C's of birth preparation. And I think it just goes beyond the typical, you know, hypnobirthing and getting a doula and all of those things that are incredibly important in doing a birth preparation class. But the five C's are the crux of it. And the first one is courage, because it really does take courage to step out of the mainstream 
and be vocal about what's important to you. It takes courage to either decline procedures that are recommended that you don't necessarily want or to request procedures that aren't available where you're living and to do your own research, especially if you know that some of those things that you want would be challenged with arguments that generally will are, are fear-based. And then the second C is choice because, at, you know, I don't think until you're pregnant you realize just how many choices are available to you. And the first priority when you are pregnant is deciding what it is that is actually important to you. And that's to you, not to the doctor or to the hospital or even to your family, because while those people do matter, you and your partner are the ones who are the most important and nobody's invested more in the health and the safety of your baby than you and your partner. So very often when you make a choice that goes a little bit against the grain or against the mainstream, people will give you arguments like, are you crazy? You know, it's so dangerous, but you would never make a decision that is dangerous for you and your baby. So usually those are the decisions that are really well researched and where you have looked at all the choices that are available to you and you've looked at the benefits of those choices, the risks that are associated with those choices. You've looked at all the alternatives that are available to you and how that impacts your life. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely that's definitely been my experience so far. You know, my husband and I were and we we're planning a home birth, and it is that feeling of like, although it is common here, it's still not mainstream. And it's like I, when I say or share it, it's like people are like, "Oh, but why would you do that? And why would you not be in the hospital?" And all these different questions. And you have to really stand firm in what you believe. And I think that comes through really being able to inform yourself, as you say, like knowing what choices are there, knowing what information is there and and taking it with a real, like absorbing all sides of the story so that you can get a full picture as opposed to something that is just fed through the system to you. Exactly, because the system exists because people support it. You know, mm-hmm. and the system is not necessarily right. So mm-hmm. it does take a lot of courage, you know, to have a home birth, because home birth in, is, is not the mainstream choice in most countries. So mm-hmm. it really does ca- take courage to look at all of your choices and say, this is the choice that is the right for me. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so we've got courage and we've got choice. And the third one is commitment. To really be committed to, once you've made that choice, to be committed to it, and commit to attending a class, commit to reading all the right books and the books that you resonate with and that support your choices, the books that will help you to make informed choices, commit to speaking to people who respect your choices and keep you focused on your goal, to finding the the people, places and books and classes that will prepare you mentally and physically for the challenges that you're going to be faced, commit to practicing the techniques that you learn in those classes And big one, commit to accepting that certain things are out of your control Mm. because that is very much part of your preparation. But when you've done all of that, then you can commit to a birth where you're fully in your power to make decisions that are right for you and your partner and your baby. Mm. That's actually what I was just going to ask you on this idea of commitment. Like obviously you want to stay firm to what you want and what you believe, but at what point or how do you know that there's a oh, something needs to shift here and I need to be flexible in order to be able to manage and navigate what's best for my baby and me in this moment. So is there a nuance there that you like to tell people like, oh, it's at this point that you need to look out for it or stay strong because this is where you feel? Or is it completely intuitive, personal, person to person? 
well, it's actually the fourth C, which is censoring. You know, when you're completely censored and grounded in that theoretical and left brain analytical knowledge that you've gathered throughout your pregnancy. So you understand the physiology of birth, you've done your birth preparation. And then when you're in labor, you move into the more intuitive right brain primitive birthing body. And I do believe when you are centered in that, then it's easier to know when something that's happened that's outside of your control, that is requiring a change or a shift in that ultimate plan that you had for your birth, intuitively you will know whether it's the right thing for you or whether this is a fear-based argument or a fear-based recommendation. Because especially in a hospital, you're having a home birth, so you won't be as exposed to those. But in a hospital situation, there are many points in that timeline where there are recommendations that are made. There's a lot of continuous fetal monitoring where they see fetal distress, which is a natural part of a baby being born. And, oh, this baby's getting a little bit tired. I think we need to do a cesarean section. You've got to be really, really censored to be able to tune in with what you know and say, "Mm -mm, I think everything's okay here, or to have your doula who can guide you. But it all comes back to being censored and having that knowledge. And if you've done all that preparation and you really are fully in your power and you're trusting of physiological birth, it's easier to be able to tune in and balance the information that you are receiving with what you're intuitively feeling. And that usually, in my experience, is is right. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense and, to you, though? Yeah, it makes complete sense to me. And I think what's what comes up for me in this is that so many women and so many people in general are so disembodied these days. They're so living outside the body that it's really hard to tune into where is my censoring coming from? Where do I feel this in my body? Can I trust the body? And most of us aren't even living in the body. We have been living in our heads from the neck up. And so I think just that practice of being in the body is such a good practice for life. And then especially for labor, Absolutely. And you know, you touch on such an important point and one that when you are used to being centered and grounded, or if you have a practice that encourages you to center, then it's, it's something that you do every day. But when teaching prenatal yoga, and I use the word centering, and some people have no idea what I'm talking about, or they don't know how to do that, or they don't know how to access that. And I find it specifically, or more commonly, should I say, in moms who've experienced a lot of infertility or experience had to go through a lot of treatments in order to become pregnant. They almost disembody while they're going through all these awfully invasive and horrible procedures and sitting in waiting rooms and having blood tests and giving injections and going for scans and all of these things. You become quite disconnected from your body. And I actually find that a lot of those moms don't even feel their babies moving until they're 22, 20, even 25, 26 weeks because they have to come back and come back into their bodies and connect again. Uh, Because there's also a sense of like, my body's failing me when you're struggling to fall pregnant. So you have to reconnect with that and say, yes, I acknowledge my body is actually, now I'm pregnant. This is beautiful. Because that's Mm. the fifth C is celebration. Let's celebrate every single day of this beautiful pregnancy of your body that is nurturing and growing your pregnancy. And even part of that is celebrating the discomforts, you know, the lower backache and the Braxton Hicks and the cramps and the headaches and the heartburn. And every single one of those is associated with one of what I call nature safety nets, which are usually hormonal in in nature, but they put there 
to protect your baby and to protect your pregnancy and celebrate them. They're uncomfortable, they're difficult, but if you go back to why they're there, it's all because of the softening of your body in preparation to allow your body to grow and expand and to soften and allow your body to birth your baby. Mm. So, yeah, celebrating all of those things. And in, as much as I'm virtual and as much as I, I love technology, it is a double-edged sword because of those little pockets that you talk about, they exist online in different groups. And if you mm. stumble upon the wrong group that is focused on all the stuff that you would rather not be exposed to, it's difficult to stay away. And what happens is that it, they sow a seed of doubt in your mind, that if you feed that seed of doubt, it's very difficult to move out of. And so the seeds you want to be planting are seeds of confidence, seeds of trust, seeds of gratitude, seeds of celebration. And every day you will see one in your body. Every single day there's something that reminds you that you're pregnant and that you're growing a baby. And sometimes they feel good and sometimes they feel really uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, so much of what you say, it just, it resonates so deeply for me and in my personal experience of this journey. And I think pregnancy for me has brought me into such a place of strong boundaries in terms of what I will let in my space and what I will not allow into my space in terms of those stories that come through, because there's a thousand stories that you can read online about these really traumatic births, all these stories that really celebrate this natural physiological birth when it's allowed to unfold in a really spontaneous, straightforward way. And I think it's also, it's really hard if there are friendship circles that people need to offload their trauma in some way because they've gone through this medicalized birth where they were made to feel a certain way that they didn't know they had options. They didn't know they had those choices. And I think it's really important to start putting up those boundaries for yourself. Absolutely. And to start that in early pregnancy, because a lot of those stories you read, when I read them, I can see that that person never knew they had a choice in the first place. So there's a little bit mm -hmm. of anger that I never knew that and I could have possibly prevented this. And then the story is written from the perspective, I don't want anybody, I don't want this to happen to anybody else. Mm -hmm. But for you as a first time pregnancy, you don't necessarily see it that way. You know, I have years of experience and wisdom. I can read a story and I can pretty much tell you exactly what happened and why that happened but you don't know that and you just think, oh my goodness, I don't want that to happen to me. And that is exactly what happens to thousands of women who stumble upon these, these websites or these groups. And that's what they are faced with. And they think, I don't want this to happen to me. And then they go thinking that if they go the medicalized route and they go to the best doctor and the best hospital with all the technology, none of that will happen. And that's kind of exactly where it does happen because there's so much technology, they've taken the human element out of it. And they don't really care about you as a person or, or the process of birth. And there's no regard or respect for that natural physiology and the unfolding and the nuances and the individuality of every single woman in labor. Because that's one thing I know for sure is that no birth that I've attended has been the same as any other. Every single one is unique and beautiful. So before I want to ask you a question about um, home birth and hospitalized birth, but can we circle back onto centering and what are some of the things or practices that you would offer as a way to really help women center themselves? I would use breathing. Breathing is a great, any breathing technique, and it can be as simple as slow, deep, 
conscious, mindful breathing. Because when we focus on our breathing, we naturally become aware of how our body feels. And obviously, when you do a practice that's a guided meditation or a guided breathing, then you will be guided to, okay, first become aware of the, the air moving in through the nostrils. and But then you move it down, become aware of your lungs expanding. Now move the breath down, become aware of the belly expanding. So using the breath to guide the embodiment or the awareness of your body. As you're breathing, you're relaxing and you're focused on that. So you become aware of areas of tension. You're able to release tension. You're able to release emotions with your breath. So definitely breathing would be what I would use. And there's so many ways of doing it, but it would be guided meditations and guided breathing techniques. And part of my course, I do have five different breathing techniques that I teach because it's all about breath awareness. You know, we teach so many breathing techniques for labor, but it, it's about becoming aware of your breath during pregnancy that is so important because so many people are not aware of their breath. And we're not aware that we're only breathing sort of to here, that it's a very shallow breath. So learning belly breathing is usually quite difficult in pregnancy. And how are you going to use that? One, in pregnancy to release common discomforts and learn how powerful your breath is. Two, to learn how to center and become aware of how you're feeling physically, mentally, emotionally. Three, to use it to connect to your baby. It's kind of like that sort of gateway. And then four, using it as well to practice as to how you will use your breath during labor to manage the intensity of the whole process as well as the intensity of the individual sensations or surges. But it's a breath awareness that, that you need to develop throughout pregnancy. I mean, while I do teach it, in, you know, I could teach it to you here and now, it's something that you need to practice every day. Mm -hmm. And I think these practices are so useful, not just for the pregnancy and the birth itself, but your journey into motherhood to keep you on your feet on the ground, like when things are going crazy and you've got a child that's crying and you don't know what to do. And like just having that moment of connecting to your breath, feel your feet on the ground, like here I am. So I think it's so powerful. And, and I know Karen's got birth breathing kit is your course that you have online. With the whole I do, yes. And that thing. comes so with we'll link that. Yeah. Amazing, it's, amazing. It's very simple, but it's, it's, you know, it's got an app to encourage you to just do five minutes every day. I mean, anybody can do five mm, minutes mm, every day. Mm, mm, 100%. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I was going to ask you, obviously you have worked in a hospital setting and you've worked in a home setting and what is the main sort of differences or what do you feel? I know South Africa is very le leaning towards the hospital births and, and that it's very geared towards that. In the UK where I am, it's, there's a big portion that is home birth. It's still not mainstream by any means, but it's very supported by the hospital. You know, you, you're in the hospital system with a team that is a home birth team. Whereas what I feel in South Africa at the moment, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that if you choose to have a home birth, it's very separate from the hospital in some ways. So do you want to just explain kind of, and I, I suppose this, this relates to your idea of it being very different culturally wherever we are, but maybe just the main differences between hospital births and home births and, and some, some pros and cons of both, I guess. I would say that the, the main difference between a hospital birth and a home birth is that a home birth is generally midwife-led. So you will have either one midwife with you or a pair or a team of midwives who would look after you throughout your pregnancy and then be with you during your labor at home, would attend your birth at home and would visit you afterwards for the first 
depending on where you are, but usually up to six weeks, they, that postnatal care would continue. The actual difference in a home birth and a hospital birth is all about the environment. Just because your home is your home, that's exactly what it is. So you are giving birth in a place where you feel the most comfortable and labor is driven by the hormone oxytocin which we call the love hormone. And we talk about the love hormone or oxytocin as being quite a shy hormone. So it operates best in an environment where it's able to, to come out and that's at home. So when you're in your own environment, the ox oxytocin levels are generally so much higher and oxytocin drives the whole process of labor. So generally it's, and it's not about being fast, but it's smoother. It unfolds in a, unhindered way because of that environment and because it flows so beautifully oxytocin works together with endorphins which are your body's own pain relieving and takes you into that altered state of consciousness so you experience the sensations of labor and the whole process of labor very differently in your home environment purely because your hormones that drive labor work optimally in your home environment it's safe by the time you give birth, you know your midwife really well. So there's a beautiful trusting relationship with that. You've got your partner who you love and adore and trust. You're in your home. So it, it allows the process to really flow beautifully and for a natural physiological labor to take place. In a hospital environment, obviously those hormones don't flow as freely because it's not your home environment and you've got to decide when you're going to go to the hospital and if you get there too early or if you get there too late and don't necessarily know the midwife who's on duty. You probably never met her before in your life. Maybe she's had a bad day. A lot of the women I know who are having hospital births worry about whether their doctor, the one that they've been seeing, their obstetrician, is actually going to be available and not on call, or not on holiday or in one case, a couple that I'm speaking to after this actually, they know that their obstetrician is going to be in quarantine because she would have been away. So, Goodness. you know, stuff, you know, that's an added stress for them. Mm -mm. Um, and you're working in a more medicalized system because we cannot treat you as an individual in a hospital situation because we have policies and procedures that we have to adhere to, which is not to say that we don't have policies and procedures to adhere to in a home environment. It's, it's less autocratic in a mm. home environment because less stuff goes awry. It's easier to manage. Mm -hmm. So that would yeah. be the big difference. I, the main difference, I would say. Yeah, and I, I think I think that idea of safety is so important. I think that comes from the information that you gather when you're making the decision for yourself. But let's say somebody feels like, oh, they haven't gathered enough information to feel that it's safe for them to have a birth at home. Um, number one, maybe what would you do to, or how would you help alleviate that safety? And I think that's where the wisdom of someone like you comes in, who's seen many, many births throughout years and years that you can say, actually, this is a very safe, natural, normal physiological process. But then let's say somebody feels like, you know what, the safest place for me is in the hospital. What can they do to help recreate that feeling of safety from an um, environmental perspective in the hospital? It still comes back to yourself and it still comes back to your trust in your ability to birth your baby and your mm -hmm. trust in the physiology of birth. And if you don't have that, no environment will be safe because you don't mm -hmm. trust it. And when you don't trust it, then oxytocin doesn't flow, endorphins don't flow, and you're operating from a place of fear. Even if it's a deep fear, that fear still exists. And energetically, 
it will impact the process of unfolding and of the physiological process. You know, whatever's happening mentally starts in the head, but the body follows. So even women who chose in a hospital birth, because home birth isn't for everybody, I would still go through the same process of getting her to really trust the natural physiology of birth. In fact, more so because she is in the hospital environment and she will be faced with more challenges to standing her ground and being sensitive with what's happening. And if you've never been in labor before, you have no idea. It is essentially an incredibly powerful process that you have to surrender to and to surrender to that power in a strange environment where you know that there are a lot more factors out of your control that you might need to manage. So it's also about trusting the partner that you have with you to be able to manage the external environmental factors like midwives and doctors and strangers and situations that might occur that are out of your control in the hospital environment. But it still comes back to trusting the process so that you feel really really connected to it and and it's easier for you to know when things aren't going according to plan to and, and trusting the doctor as well so that when they say listen things are not happening here and you do need to have a cesarean or whatever that you trust them enough to know that that is the right thing for you or to ask the right questions to make sure that it really is an informed decision and be given the time to check in with yourself check in with your body is this right for you? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. It's big though. It's big and it's, mm. it's big and it's hard. It's, it's, it's so much easier to say it than it is to do it. And I do recognize that because there are so many more challenges these days. There's so much pressure on the hospital staff and medical staff and hospital groups in terms of liability and litigation that the pressures on birthing moms are really, really high to make decisions that don't always feel right with them. But that make the doctors feel better. Mm, mm, interesting. Very, mm. very interesting. Mm. Gosh. So it just sounds like you've gathered every single, from, and also from reading your website, like every single birth that you've attended, you've like gathered something new or there's been some kind of experience that's settled into your nervous system in some way. So do you want to share maybe one of like the most, one of the, the births that maybe was the most highlighted to you or a real experience? I don't know if it was your first one or perhaps a, an experience that you're just like, wow, this is like a magical experience or something that landed for you. If you want to share a story. Oh, I've had so many beautiful experiences. I really have been so privileged to attend some of the most sublime, beautiful, gentle, loving births. Sure, I have to get a bit emotional talking about it. <laughs> because it is such a, it really is such a privilege to, for me to be invited into that sacred space with a couple. It's, it's lovely. But maybe what I'll say in that is that I came to that by being in the hospital system, the one that I stepped out of. And I was part of a lot of the, and I will use the word abuse of women. I, I, I was part of that system did many things that were not necessary. And, mm. and I followed those procedures and policies and assisted doctors doing things that I know weren't necessary and that could have been done differently. And when you see that enough and then think, hang on, this is just not okay. But then stepping out of the system and then you also have another fight because 
because you're able to unlearn all of those things. And that's why I think I put such a big emphasis on trust because mm-hmm. I had to step into that trust because I had worked in the system that didn't trust birth for so long and watched so many things being done that were based on not trusting it. So I really had to work hard. And the first couple of births, and still to this day sometimes, births that you do out of the system, you have to really go back and say, yes, I trust birth, I trust this woman, I trust myself, I trust whatever being that you believe in. And I trust the physiology, nature, I trust this. But every time I am blessed to attend a beautiful birth like that, then it's a reassurance that I'm on the right path and that I have to keep doing this work because if I don't, we will lose it. We will lose it. Mormon will lose that belief in themselves. And the the power of birth lies in the transformation that occurs when a woman does what she thinks she cannot do. Because in every birth, there's a moment where a woman, moments, sometimes it's seconds, sometimes it's hours, where she thinks, I can't do this. I can't do it anymore. And when she does, it's life-changing. Mm-hmm. It's just and that is the power. If we take that away from women, I don't know what will happen to us as a species. You know, I have goosebumps all over my body as you're talking of this, just how deeply it's sitting for me. And the word that you used that, that really like hits for me was this idea of sacredness. And I think coming from this medical model where it's like this, it's completely industrialized in some senses of the birth in the system versus taking it back to that place where it's absolutely sacred, where it's the spiritual experience, whether you believe, whatever you believe in doesn't matter, but it's the spiritual experience. It's this transformative thing that you move through. And I think what, what, what resonates for me so much is this idea of trust because trust implies there's a little bit of mystery there. And like there's that mystery of birth that makes it so powerful, that makes it so profound that actually medical systems can't actually pinpoint, but they try so hard to. It's just like, yeah, it's really like what you say, just lands so deeply for me. So thank you for sharing your wisdom in that way with us because it's so, it's so important. I think it puts women back at the center of everything. I think that's probably why hospitals and lawyers hate birth and pregnancy so much is because of that mysticism and because mm. they cannot control it and they want to control it but as soon as we hand over that control we really have lost it because there's we'd we'd never know like i say every birth is different and i never know what's going to unfold and how birth is going to be and there is that's the mystery we have to trust Mm, mm. is truly that yeah it's beautiful yeah absolutely love I, i just loved listening to you and hearing you speak and share is there anything else that you want to let people know about where they can find you? Um, I know you've, we've got a whole lot of course, you've got the holistic birth prep guide, which is a birth bundle that you have online that people can sign up to. You've got your um, birth breathing kit app, you've got also the due date club. Do you want to chat a little bit about that? The due date club is actually on hold at the moment. I probably okay. should take it off, but um, <laughs> I'm very excited about it because we'll be launching again in January. And what that is essentially is a more of a community-based program. And so it's a something that you sign up to sort of ideally the moment you find out that you're pregnant and you get put into a group of women who are all due in exactly the same month as you. Love so it. there's nothing better. And we talk about those pockets. That's exactly what it is where... I'm creating a pocket of women. You're all doing the same month and you're going to travel this journey together. 
And so you'll stay in that group throughout your pregnancy, but I drip feed you the information that you need at that moment. Because what I find so frustrating, and I know the women who are pregnant will probably resonate with this, the moment you find out you're pregnant, you're dying to just, you're like a little sponge. You want everything. And then the doctor says, no, come back at 12 weeks. And no, nothing happens until then. And you only need this then. And like, you know, just relax. Well, you do not want to relax. So this is a way of <laughs> yeah. like getting in. And I'm saying, I'm going to give you this. And this is what you're going to do until your 12 weeks, because that's just as important. And it's working on that timeline. So you get the right information at the right time, but you're traveling together and also guiding, you know, working with each other and it's sharing and working with a lot of experts in the field. So every month there'll be different interviews with homeopaths and chiropractors and all the alternative stuff, as well as the traditional mainstream medical stuff. So very balanced points of view, because it's important. Not everybody wants the home birth midwife led. There are some people that do resonate more with the medical model and that's fine. I'm a great advocate of choice, but I do want to inform the choice, especially because I know in South Africa, the reason most people make the medical choice is because they don't know there's an alternative. Mm-hmm. So, I can I can so see this this being like lifelong friendships formed and if oh, people absolutely. are joining from other parts of the world like I can see them in 10 years time visiting each other with their kids like amazing well actually that's how it started just like my virtual one-on-one work started is that so many of the people who attended my classes 10-15 years ago are still friends and they do exactly that. They get together once a year for holidays. There's a few really good friendships and I just love it. And I just think they met in my class. Yay. Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. Like you bring together women through this shared story and this shared like experience, which is just so beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So yeah, that's what the due date club's all about. And I'm very excited for our January launch, but yeah, we're still working on a few exciting things to add to it. Oh, amazing. And so anything else you want to add about where people can find you and your work or anything else that we've left out that you feel you want to fill in? Well, I think anybody who does sort of listen to this and resonate with it and who goes to have a look at my website, I'd encourage you to book what I call a tell me more call because that is an opportunity for us to really chat and see if what I'm offering is right for you or to be able to tailor make something that would fit because I've been doing this for so long and I have so many different ways of working with people. I don't like to overwhelm. Some people want a lot of support. Some people just want a little bit. So it's always just a good starting point to say, what, where are you at? What's happening for you? And this is what I recommend. Amazing. And we will put all those links to your website and to the different courses that you offer all out into the show notes for this episode. So definitely click over and find Karen if what she's saying is resonating for you as I know it is resonating for me <laughs> well thank you so much and uh, it's just lovely chatting to you and I can't wait to hear your birth story yeah I'm very I'm actually I was thinking, reflecting on that the other day I was like I'm actually really excited for birth like I, I have all these tools that I've used and I, these things that I've practiced and I feel like it's going to be the ultimate challenge like the ultimate yoga challenge is to like move through this birth and just like use all these tools and I think that's a really good place for me to be I know I've got friends who are really anxious about birth and it's just I wish I could give them some of that maybe it's that courage and I think maybe podcasts and things like this what you're sharing helps to give people that sense of trust and courage in themselves and their bodies yes I'll also say could be shot down for this 
but uh, <laughs> I get it. You want to give that to them, but you know what? The only person who can, you, you only get it if you need it or you want it or you seek it. Mm. I mean, mm. I see that as well. I see so many people like, oh, I want to help you. But it's a bit like an alcoholic, you know, they have to want to stop drinking or they won't. And you have to seek out that information and put the effort and the time to get to the point where you're at, where you're really excited because you have such a deep trust. And mm. you just want to like see your body unfold and do what it knows how to do. But you've put in the work. Mm. And mm. So we can't give it to anybody because it's available. There are so many courses available. There are so many people doing what I do. But you have to reach out and find it. Mm. Well, let this be the invitation. If it's calling to you, here's the invitation to reach out. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. And um, yeah. I'm glad to hear you are excited. That means you're, yeah. you're, you're ready. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Karen. It was so lovely to chat with you. And guys, you can get in touch with her. We'll put the links in the show notes and we'll look forward to hearing from you soon. Fantastic. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Kombucha and Color. If you have enjoyed or been inspired by our conversations today, please leave a five-star review on Stitcher or iTunes. Don't forget to share with friends and family. This will help other women find inspiration to live life bright. We'd love to connect with you on social media. Come find me, Shay, by searching Shay Dyer Yoga on Facebook or Instagram. You can find me, Anna, by searching Anna Marsh on Facebook or Instagram. And remember, you can always refer to the links in the show notes. See you next week.